and amen. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to be looking at the account of the coming of the wise men. Uh, as you're turning there, just a reminder uh, that we have uh, new reading plans out back, and so uh, we'll be starting a new year soon. You'll be starting new Sunday school material next Sunday uh, in the book of James, and so just encourage you to grab those on your way out. As we come to Matthew 2, though, we, uh, we come to this response of these wise men to the birth of the king. After all, this isn't just any birth. This is the birth of the king, of the king of kings. And we see them coming and their response to this birth. Chapter 2, we also see the response of some others. This morning, our question is going to be looking at what is our response? What is our response this morning to the announcement that the king is born? That the savior of the world has come. What is our response to that this morning? And so hopefully by now you found Matthew 2. If you would please stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word this morning. Chapter 2 starting in verse 1. We'll be reading the first 12 verses starts off by saying this. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we are his star when it, we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, O you and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will, be, who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you for this uh, as Alan already prayed, this incredible opportunity to come as a family of God to worship our King, to worship and to celebrate your birth. Father, we pray, Lord, that you would remind us of the enormity of what happened when you stepped into human history. Father, that you would remind us of what you've accomplished and what you have done for us and the love that you have shown us, that you would 
Lord, stir in our hearts something new and something marvelous. Father, as we hear from you this morning, we pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. This account of the wise men coming um, is ingrained in our uh, thoughts of the birth of Christ. Uh, certainly, even as you look at nativity scenes around the world, uh, more than likely you're going to see um, probably shepherds on one side and three wise men on the other holding their gifts. That's how you know they're the wise men, because you look for the gifts. The shepherds have staffs, okay? So just in case there's confusion as you're setting up nativity, there's a clear way to do that. I didn't know if you know that or not. But we see them there, so it's ingrained in us. But what we know from Scripture in reality is that these gentlemen, and there may have even been women, we don't know, in, in the party um, as they traveled, but these individuals, as they come, they probably came a year to two years after the birth of Christ. But I can only imagine as they see this star rising in the and that they gain so much excitement, and they're looking at one another saying, we have to get to Israel. Like, whether they are from Babylon, or whether they're from India, or whether possibly from even farther east, we're not sure. But you can imagine their excitement upon seeing this star, knowing its meaning, and going, we got to get there because we want to be a part of the festivities. We want to be a part of what is happening there. And yet, we see at the same time the response of Herod and others and this that is completely different. Why, why then are the, why are these, sorry, why are these wise men so excited? What is it about this baby that changes everything? Our kids have done a wonderful job this morning of telling you a little bit, but as adults, Let's stop and take time to remember why the birth of this baby, why the birth of this king is different. First, this baby, this king, is the long-awaited Messiah. We even see it in the words of Herod. When he's asked by the wise men about where the king is, where this king to be born is, he asked the chief priests and the scribes, where is the Christ to be born? He immediately knows upon being questioned what they are speaking of. That this is more than just the birth of some baby. He recognizes that what they are speaking of is the prophecy that all of Israel had been waiting on. Of a coming Messiah, of an anointed one. As you'll see that used different times throughout the prophets. Of an anointed one who would set his people free. Who would lead them well from the lineage of David. Over and over again in the Old Testament, things had been pointing to this birth. And in the few hundred years before this moment, the Jewish people had grabbed hold of these prophecies. In the, from Isaiah to Habakkuk to Micah to Malachi, they had grabbed a hold of these prophecies and said, Yes, there is one coming. There is one coming. And they were waiting anxiously for his arrival. Many of them were. We even see in the, the story of, in Luke, of the birth story, when Jesus' parents take him to the temple, that Simeon and Anna are there, and they are waiting on the promised one. 
They're waiting on the Messiah, and upon seeing Jesus, they begin to celebrate because God had allowed them to see with their own eyes the one that would save his people. This is a long-waited promise coming true. A long-waited promise. This goes back to, this goes back centuries. It goes back to, in some cases, the beginning of time, but in particular, it's centuries The wise men, how do they know about this? Why do they recognize that this star has importance? It goes back, actually, to another wise man from the east. If you go back to Numbers, you're going to find a story. You're going to find an account of a guy named Balaam. Balaam was a wise man. He was a prophet who lived in the east, and he often was called upon to communicate to others the will of God, though he himself were unclear whether he was a true worshiper of God or not. He gets word from a, from a king, from a pagan king who is being invaded by Israel to come and to curse Israel. And so Balaam, loving money, comes and he does just that, or that's his plan anyway. But he's interrupted. An angel stands in his path. The angel causes his donkey to talk. That's a whole other sermon for another day. You just need to go back and read it, okay? But his donkey talks and he's warned, don't do this thing. Balaam goes anyway because he still wants the money. But when he gets there, rather than prophesying a curse over Israel, he promises, he Prophesies, it, prophesies is a blessing. He does a blessing four times, in fact. In the last blessing, he says something along this line. He says, I see him, though not close. He is afar, a star rising out of Judah. Notice he doesn't say a star rising out of Israel. He says a star rising out of Judah and a scepter in his hand. This is the promise centuries before, proclaimed by a wise man, by a prophet from the east, now centuries later being fulfilled and recognized by prophets as well. They see the star and they know there is something different here. This is a long-awaited promise being fulfilled. Not only is this the long-awaited Messiah, but this is the Savior of nations. This coming of these wise men from the east. Again, we're not sure exactly where. Some in tradition place them in Babylon. Some in tradition place them from India. Some in tradition even place them as far away as China. But they were from a distance. They were not Jews. They were not those that would normally be associated with the worship of of Yahweh and the Messiah, and yet they come from afar. Why? Because it is a reminder that this king, this savior, is not just for the Jewish people. He is for the world. He's for the world. It doesn't say that for God so loved the Jews that he gave his only son. It says for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. This is a This is a long-promised Messiah for certainly for the Israelite nation, and that's good. But even more than that, he is a Savior for all of us. He's a Savior for all of us. He's the long-awaited Messiah. He's the Savior of nations. He is the King of kings. His birth is not just the birth of some earthly king. It is the birth of the King of kings. If there was an announcement if there was an announcement that the king of Albania had had a child, we would never hear of it. 
I don't even know if there is a king of Albania. Okay? But if there was, and some of you are Googling it right now, stop. If there is a king of Albania and he has a child, we would not care. We would not care. We would not even register on our, on our daily bypass, right? And yet this king, this is not just some foreign king in some little bitty nation. This is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 19 to get a picture of who he is. I think sometimes we, do, we make the mistake of leaving Jesus in that barn, in that cave, in that feeding trough. We leave him wrapped in swaddling clothes, helpless and defenseless, and we forget who he is. Revelation chapter 19, starting in verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. He has a name written that no one knows by, but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. We're going to come back to that later. His name is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty on his robe and on his thigh. He has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He is a baby, but he is the King. And he is coming again. He is no weak king either. He's not some sickly guy sitting on a throne hoping that others do his bidding. He is strong and powerful and worthy of reverence. This is the king of kings. This is the Lord of lords. This is the one who was born. This is why the wise men come from so far. They want to see that king. He's the long-awaited Messiah. He's the Savior of nations. He's the King of kings. He's also the Prince of peace. We read there in Revelation 19, and that doesn't sound very peaceful. <laughs> We've got to remember there's, there's some decisions that are made, right? That God created all of creation, and he put humanity right in the middle of it, and he said, take care of it. And he created them so that he could have a relationship with them. And yet humanity looked at all that they had been given. And they looked at the relationship with they had God. And they said, I want to be king. Man and woman both. I want to be king. I want to be queen. And I don't trust him. And so they sinned. They rebelled against God. They took of the fruit. They ate of it. They were expelled. And to this day... And until the end of time, all of humanity continues to look at all that we've been given and say, but I want to be king. But I want to be queen. I want to be in charge. And in doing so, we are traitors to the throne. And God is a just God and he's a holy God. And so there is the king of kings and the Lord of lords who gives out the consequence of treason. But praise be to God that he is a gracious and loving and merciful king. And that he brings peace as well. He offers that first. 
The angels come and they sing of peace on earth. Why do they sing of it? It's not merely, though this is huge, that, that Christ brings peace to humanity. Though he does do that. The great miracle, though, is that Christ's coming brings peace between us and God. Scripture makes it clear, Paul makes it clear especially, that we are enemies of God. That we have created, we have done treason, that we have looked at the king and said, I can do better, I want to be king. And so we face the consequences of that, and yet Christ comes, this baby comes, and he lives a perfect life, and then he dies the death of the traitor. He dies the death of the, rebe the rebel, so that he can say, their price is paid, so that he can offer life and pardon, and offer it abundantly, and offer it eternally. He gives peace. So now, now for those that place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we stand before the white throne of God and we do not stand there as treasonous rebels deserving of consequence, but we stand there as adopted sons and daughters of the Most High who deserve inheritance and blessing forevermore. That is good stuff. That is good stuff. Imagine standing before God and standing there with confidence knowing I deserve good because of his righteousness. That is, we're celebrating. So we celebrate that this king that is born is the long-awaited Messiah, that he is the savior of nations, that he is the king of kings, that he is the prince of peace, and that he is God in flesh. If he is not God, if this baby born is not God, then he cannot pay for all of our sins. Then he cannot pay for eternity for us in a moment. But because he is, all of that is on the table. Turn with me to John chapter 1. Maybe one of the most remarkable passages in all of Scripture. John chapter 1, we're reminded of this truth of who he is. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now remember, what is, what is one of the names that's given to the king in Revelation 19? He is the Word of God. Okay, now go back. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him not, was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. We're going to skip down to verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God." This baby born in this manger is not just any old king. He is not just any old Lord. He is not just a savior of nations, as crazy as that is to say. He is God in the flesh. I love what one author says. He says, God not only wrote the story of history, he made himself the main character. 
And he stepped into the story so that he could come, as we said last week, he could come, he could kill the dragon and win the girl. Amen and amen, God in the flesh. So we look at all of this. We look at this baby born in the manger, the long-awaited Messiah, the Savior of nations, the King of kings, the Prince of peace, God in the flesh, come to deliver us. And we say amen and amen, hallelujah. And we understand why the angels come, and they come in the masses. They don't come one, they don't come two. They come by the millions, the uncountable host of heaven, and they sing of what God has done on this night. And my thought is, is that these guys, however many of them there were, these wise men, as they saw that star and they knew the king was born, they're like, we got to get there to celebrate. Because in their mind, if the king of kings has been born in Israel, then there must be a crazy party going on there. The birth of a royal was worth celebrating. It was feast day upon day upon day upon day. And they're like, we don't want to miss any of it can only imagine that their packing was much like our packing today it's like forget it like let's just go there's a walmart there we can get toothpaste later friend like we need to get to the king of kings and the lord of lords and so they come and we see their response we see their response to this king we see a response of faith certainly the response of the wise men is a response of faith Yes, they had read, undoubtedly they had read the prophecy, right? They had seen that what Balaam had said, that there was a star rising in Judah that, and, and who he was and what he was going to become, and they see this star, but there's still a step of faith, right? Was Balaam right? <laughs> Did he know what he was talking about? The trip that they're going on, if they're from Babylon, which is probably the most general consensus of most scholars, that trip at the minimum took a month. It took a month one way. We don't have comprehension of that anymore. I can get to the other side of the world in about 24 to 48 hours if all of my flights connect the right way. Two days to get to the other side of the world. We have no comprehension of what it means to say, hey, I'm going to go out and I'm going to get on a trip and we're going we're to go for a month before we ever get to our destination. This was a step of faith. It was a step of sacrifice. We know that traveling now costs. It was nothing different back then. This was a step of faith for them to say, we believe that this prophecy is true and we're going to follow that star. We see the response of faith. We see a response of great rejoicing. Go back to our passage in Matthew. We've kind of wandered away from it just a little bit. But go back to it. They follow the star. They follow the star to the end destination. In verse 10, when they, or sorry, well, let's back up to verse 9. It says, and listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose before them until it came to rest over where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Their response was a response of faith. Their response was also a response of great rejoicing. Now, some of that rejoicing was just from a destination arrived at. Certainly, they pull up in front of the house. and They're like, we've been traveling a month. Thank, thank the Lord, truly, that we are here. Okay? Like, one of the greatest moments of go, getting to a destination is just the arrival part. Like, one of our family's favorite places in the world is to go to the zoo. My girl starts screaming with 
ecstasy when she sees the sign. Okay, like we get around that roundabout and we see the zoo sign and we haven't even gotten to the parking lot and Rosemary is losing her mind because we have arrived after a long journey in her mind. Okay, there's excitement. I can imagine the Joneses. You get to Disney World. Their excitement starts long before you actually enter the park, right? You have a long flight. You have all this stuff going on. It's like, yes, we've got here. Certainly part of that was the wise men. They're like, they see the star and the star finally stops. And they're like, praise the Lord. But there's also exceeding joy because they know what's inside. You're not excited just because the journey's over. You're excited because you know what you're here to do. And so they're, they're thrilled. They're thrilled by what's going to happen. Their faith, there's great rejoicing. There is worship. Go back to our text. It says, And then going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. They fell down and worshipped him. These guys were important. They were powerful. They were worthy of the respect and the admiration that they've been given. They were wealthy. Like, you just look at their gifts. These guys were wealthy. They walk into Jerusalem and they say, hey, we need to talk with the king. And that request is granted. These were not nobodies. Don't get these guys messed up with the shepherds, okay? The shepherds, unfortunately, in that culture, they were nobodies. They were average Joes. Praise the Lord that God sends angels to them first and says, hey, go check this out, okay? These guys were not nobodies. These guys were kings, they walk in, and they see this baby, and they do what is universally known as respect. They got on their knees. These incredibly powerful, rich, respected men see this baby, and they recognize who he is, and they get on their knees. And I imagine they bow their heads, and they worship. Because they know who's in front of them. And they realize we're not the worthy ones. He is. Now I don't know if these guys totally understood all of who Jesus was. I don't know if they understood that he was their savior. I don't know if they understood the cross and the resurrection. I don't know if they understood that he was God in the flesh. But they understood that he was king of kings and lord of lords. And they bowed. Yes, they're excited. Yes, they're overjoyed. Yes, there is, there is completion to their task. But when they get there, there is also reverence for the baby in the manger. They have faith. They have great rejoicing. They have worship. And yes, they have gifts. It says, then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, of frankincense, and myrrh. Three incredible, valuable gifts. This is, by the way, where we get the idea that there were three men is because they have three gifts. We're not ever told of the number in Matthew 2, and Matthew's the only one that really talks about them. We're not ever told of the number of them, nor are we told that this is all the gifts they gave. Like, have you ever thought about that? Like, in my brain, and maybe this is, maybe this is a step too far in imagination, but I'm imagining they're like, hey, here's some gold 
and here's some frankincense, and here's some myrrh, and oh, by the way, here's a rattle because you're a baby. And the baby's like, yeah, rattle. And Joseph's like, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Like, you know what I mean? Like, this is it. We're not told that this is all the gifts they gave. These are just the three that are special. Now, gold, we pretty much know, right? Gold is, is value. It's wealth. It's a gift worthy of a king. But there's two other gifts here that are important as well. We have frankincense, which we probably don't know as well. It's kind of just a funny word that we make fun of at this time of the season. But frankincense was reserved for the burning and the incense at the altar. Frankincense all across the world was associated with divine worship, whether it was the worship of the one true God or the worship of those little wooden objects that everybody else was making. It was associated with divine worship. So when they offer him this frankincense, whether they understood it in its entirety or not, this was a sign of who they were in front of, of his divinity. And then we have myrrh. Myrrh also being an incredibly expensive fragrance and an incredibly expensive incense that was often given. It was used, unlike frankincense that was reserved largely for the temple, myrrh was used in a lot of different ways in a lot of different cultures. Where we see it show up again is in the burial of Jesus Christ, that myrrh was used in the wrappings of Jesus as he was laid in the temple. That's where we see it again. Good reminder of his purpose. Yes, he's king. Yes, he's divine. But he came for a purpose. And that purpose is to die. Again, I don't know that these guys understood that when they gave these gifts. But don't think that these gifts are accidental. They give gifts. Sacrificial gifts. This is the response of the wise men. To the king of kings. To the lord of lords. To the god of the universe in the flesh. And it is right. And it is good. Unfortunately, there is some other folks in this passage as well. We have the response of several others here. Go back to the text. It says, when they got to Jerusalem, they met with Herod, and they asked a question, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod heard this, he was troubled in all the Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. A couple of things to see here in the response of others. First, see the indifference. These wise men, we've, we've kind of talked about this morning already. You can imagine them. They're headed towards Jerusalem because they think if the king of the Jews has been born, then certainly it was in Jerusalem. So they're headed there and they're rushing to get there because they want to be a part of the celebration and they walk into town. And what do they find? Nothing. Like it's just day-to-day -day stuff. Like people going to the market, people feeding their animals, like the shopkeepers are still selling the same old knickknacks that they've sold for the last 200 years. Like, it's nothing. It's the same old thing. And so they're like, okay. And so they ask for an audience with the king, and the king, they come to the king, and they're like, where is the, where is the king that was born? Like, we're here to celebrate with you guys. And the king's like, that happened? And he has to call on his, on his, on his guys to come and tell him, hey, where was that supposed to happen again? And the scribes and the priests aren't much better, are they? 
The scribes and the priests come and they, they say, well, he was supposed to be born in Bethlehem. Which, by the way, that prophecy is from Micah, which we read just not ago. This is why we do the minor prophets. because we. Some of you get that. So, they read Micah and they say, oh, it's in Bethlehem. But let me ask you this question. If Herod was so concerned by this, wouldn't you have thought he would have sent somebody with the wise men to go check this out? If the priest and the scribes heard that this prophecy has come true and they were excited about it and they thought that it was, that it was like, oh my goodness, the Messiah is born, don't you think somebody would have went with these guys? Bethlehem was six mile, is six miles from Jerusalem. We're not talking like a long trip. It's six miles. One way. They could have made that in a day easy. Maybe they spend the night if they can find room at the inn. Okay? But it's an easy trip, but none of them cared enough to go. The birth of Jesus Christ is met with indifference, largely. By and large, it's met with indifference. By a few, it's met by, with a troubled mind. A troubled mind. Look back here at what Herod does. It says, when Herod heard, the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. All of Jerusalem with him. Why is Herod troubled? Because Herod wants to be king. He hears that the king of kings has been born, the lord of lords has been born, that the god of all the universe has come in the flesh, and his response is fear, because Herod wants to be king. He wants it to be his. And so he's troubled. All of Jerusalem with him. All of Jerusalem here meaning predominantly those that would rule, those that were in power, the political machine. They're all worried. Why? Because they want control. They want to be king. So we see a response to Christ as indifference, as a troubled mind, of deceit. Look there in verse 7. It says, Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he said to them, or he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Any good student of literature right here is reading this and going, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. And for good reason. Like, this is flat out deceit. It's a lie. He does no desire to worship. And you read at the end of chapter 2, and you see what his desire is. His desire is to end this, to end this baby. There was a lot of indifference. There were some that had troubled minds. There's one in particular that practiced deceit. And then we see violence. The king of king comes. And some, some rebel with such ferocity that they bring heartbreak to others. They bring heartbreak to others. God in his sovereign plan speaks to the wise men and says, hey, don't go back to that guy. Don't go back to that guy. So the wise men, when they get done, they return to their home a different way. They take a different trip. They take a different route home. Herod gets incredibly angry. You've got to understand, this guy is incredibly jealous and incredibly like insane. 
This is a guy that had his sons put to death, had his wife put to death because he, was, they, he thought that they were a threat to the throne, to his power. You think he's going to spare somebody else's kids? Herod's reaction, Herod's reaction is one of violence, and it leads to heartbreak of others. Ultimately, it will lead to his own heart as well. It's sad, right? We look at Christmas and we see all of the glory and we see all of the excitement. We see everything that should be. We see the response of the wise men and then we see the response of the others. We see the response of the religious elite. We see the response of the king and we were heartbroken. And it leads us to ask this question. What is our response? What is our response to Christmas? For us sitting in the pew, Will it be indifference? There are many in this world that that's exactly. The vast majority of people in this world will greet this day, whether they greet it with presents and gifts or not, but they will, they will greet the birth of Christ with indifference. What does it matter? And for them, it matters not at all. There will be some, there will be some who have a troubled mind. They hear the, the gospel story, they hear the, the, the story and the account of the birth of Christ and they will, be, they will have a troubled heart. What if this is true? What if this is true? And they will feel some guilt and some angst. But for many of them, that guilt and angst does not lead them closer to Christ, but rather that guilt and angst will only be because they want to continue to be king. Because we as humans really like being in control. And we really like to do things that make us feel good. We like to satisfy ourselves. And so to hear that there is a king of kings and lord of lords, that will cause many to be troubled because it threatens what they want. For many it will be indifference. For some it will be a troubled mind. For a few it will be deceit. They will proclaim, yes, I believe in Jesus Christ. Yes, I believe that he came and was born. Yes, I believe the King of Kings and Lord of Lords thing. Yes, I believe in angels and all of the like. But their life speaks of something entirely different. Their life speaks, the fruit of their life says, no, I'm still king. They say one thing and they do another. They deceive others and they deceive themselves. The response of many will be indifferent. The response of some will be a troubled mind. The response of a few will be deceit. And the response of just a very few, yes, will be violence. We look around our world and there is no doubt that some will hold on to themselves so hard that they will cause heartbreak in the lives of others. Let our response not be any of these. Rather, let us look at the wise men. Let us look at the angels. Let us look at the shepherds. Let us look at Simeon and Anna. And let us proclaim with all of heaven, glory to God in the highest. 
Because our king has been born, our savior has come, and he is victorious in all things. And now we have the promise of life. Let us celebrate with those things. Let us not be with indifference, but rather let's make a big deal about it. Let's make a big deal of Christmas. Let's make a big deal of this season and why it exists. Let us not think, not, let us not be troubled in our heart and mind with only, except for this, that others may not know. Let that be the only trouble of your hearts and your mind, that there may be someone who does not know why we celebrate. May we speak the truth of who he is and what he has done. And may we share in the heart of our Father love and grace and mercy for all. Let us respond in this manner to Christmas, one that is good and right, with faith, with worship, with gifts. This morning, I'm going to have the praise team come back up, and we're just going to have a time of response this morning. If you're a believer here this morning, I hope that you are reminded of who this baby is and what he grew up to do for you and that you would be filled with the joy of your salvation, that you would desire to worship well this morning and to go out from this place and to come back tonight and this whole week to worship well the king who has been born. My prayer is this morning that if you don't have a relationship with him, you know, I, I'm still king. I'm still boss. But this morning, you would come to him and say, hey, I've tried it my way. I know that doesn't get me anywhere. Forgive me. I want to follow you. Will you do that this morning? Will you know Christmas this morning? I pray that you will. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, and Father, we thank you. And Lord, we rejoice. Lord, it's Christmas. Lord, it's it's a season of remembering your goodness and your love and your mercy, of remembering the peace that you've brought. Lord, it is a wonderful, wonderful time. Lord, I pray that we would, we would magnify you, Lord, that we would rejoice in you, that others would see it and go, okay, like, I like Christmas, but they love Christmas. What's going on? Father, I pray these things for us, that we would be excited as a church of what you have done. Father, I pray for the individual here this morning that they, they're sitting here and they're listening to this message and they know, they know I'm still king. I'm still queen of my life. I've never sacrificed, I've never, never given that to him. Father, or that they would, you would give them the courage this morning, that you would give them the ability this morning just to come to you and say, I want to be yours. I want to follow you. I want to know all these wonderful things. Father, may that be true this morning. Father, we pray all of this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.